Good morning. Welcome again to The Daily Cast, a podcast to start the day on Kilcolendary. I'm Brian Byrne. It's Monday the 31st of May 2021. The weather today, it's looking good for another fine summer's day. A little high cloud will clear by lunchtime, leaving things mostly sunny through the afternoon and evening. Temperatures will rise rapidly to around 19 degrees in moderate breezes from the southeast. Our person of interest this morning is Richard Lovell Edgeworth, born on this day in Bath, England in 1744 into an Anglo-Irish family which had settled in Ireland in the 16th century. Richard Edgeworth was educated in Trinity College Dublin and later at Oxford, and is most remembered for his inventive mind. Among his achievements in this vein was a machine for measuring the size of a plot of land. He also proposed a communications system for Ireland, using a series of line-of-sight towers which would have a semaphore machine on top to relay messages along distances. He also anticipated the caterpillar track, but though he made over a hundred models in his time, he was never able to make one that worked as he wanted, in part because other necessary technologies had not been developed but his description of his idea as a cart that carries its own road was very much evocative of what the eventual invention of the caterpillar system would be. As a wealthy member of the nobility, Edgeworth travelled widely throughout Europe, something which had been part of his family's life from the time he was a young child travelling with them. But rather than simply enjoying the social circuit, he spent his time in discussion with the most highly respected thinkers across the continent discussing economics, education and science. Back in Ireland, he became a Member of Parliament for Longford in 1797, and for six years, from 1806, he was a member of the Commission of Education in Ireland, where he promoted some of the ideas he had gathered while travelling, notably that education should be child-centred rather than the strict and even coercive methods of the day. Also, that it should take advantage of a child's natural curiosity and be developed on a scientific basis. In all that, he wasn't very successful at the time, but he documented his theories, studies and experiments and left a basis for others to implement later. Many of these studies were carried out in what his daughter Maria later recalled as conversation lessons and which were summarised in a book written by father and daughter, Practical Education. Maria herself went on to become a successful novelist and biographer. Richard Lovell Edward was married four times and fathered 22 children. Edwardstown in County Longford keeps the name in history and in the present day. Our feature of the day. A novel by Kilcullen-based writer Fiona Billy Lawler has just debuted on Amazon as a Kindle download after a first paperback printing has sold out. The Callow Land is a tale of two families set in the Curra and Kildare town. The two main characters in 2014, Ruth and Bridget, don't know each other until a chance meeting, but then find that they have connections going back through generations. These are links of family, grief, joy and hope, and told in a way that take us into the hearts and minds of those who have shaped who Ruth and Bridget are today. The author is originally from Blessington, and though Fiona has been writing published short stories for years, this is her first full-length novel. It took her four years to complete, while working at her job as a paramedic and also raising her family. I asked her where the story came from. 
I was just thinking um, of, of when people die, how other people come in and kind of have to clear up the, the collections and the memories of the people who've lived somewhere before and what they would find and, and what would they get to know about a person by the things that are left behind. And so I thought I'd write the book backwards. So I'd write it from now and then I would skip back to the next generation and then skip to the, and everything to tie it all together. I tied it all in with everything that happened on St. Bridget's Day, whether it was 1800 or there was 2014. Everything was, you know, circled around the plate. That was the one link. So while one person was uh, committing suicide, taking her own life under the train deliberately, just down the road, maybe 10, 20 miles, and another woman of a similar age was having a car crash. And over in, you know, London, it was just a normal day on the ward around, say, Bridget's Day. And so I, I decided to pick a certain day and then that Bridget was named after and then go right through the generations of what was happening at that time, whether it was during the famine or whether it was during the 50s or whatever. That kind of multi-generational writing takes a lot of juggling and a great deal of research, not just into the facts of history of past generations, but also into how people thought, talked, and what was around them at the time. It is, it is it's very hard to do, particularly because I don't, I was born in the late 60s, so I had my mother's reminiscence of her baby sham glasses and standing outside Cleary's with the umbrellas and you know, waiting for the picture houses as they were I had to get the the language right, which was another thing. I was very, very um, you know, particular about the language that would be used back then, as opposed to now the, the vernacular and stuff that we use now would, would have been totally out of place back then. Um so I had to kinda of listen in to older people speak. I interviewed a few older, much older people and spoke about what, what were their childhoods like and what kind of cities they live on. How did they get to the shops? There was no supermarkets and there was vans that came around with food and things like that. Things that I had never heard of before. So I tried to cram as much as I could into the book so that it would appeal to people who love Kildare, love the region. Also, the, the pressure of being outcast and having to belong. And if, you know, the whole theory of mental illness that runs through the book... Um, it was very misunderstood and there was very little help. And my characters were quite lucky that they were not institutionalised. But at one, at one occasion, you know, one of them was, Kathleen was nearly institutionalised. She was outside the walls. Only the father had the guts to take her home. But they had to make a lie. They couldn't take her home with her child. They had to make a lie. So she didn't know all her life, what the truth was. And this happened all the time, like, you know, the, the kind of web of lies that people built within families in order to kind of keep faith. Although there are other locations in the book, including Kilkee and County Clare, the Callow land is mostly set in and around the Curra. It's familiar to many people today for many reasons, but some of its history was hidden in the first bushes. It is, it is it's very hard to do, particularly because I don't I was born in the late sixties. So I had my mother's reminiscence of her baby sham glasses and standing outside Cleary's with the umbrellas and you know, waiting for the picture houses as they were I had to get the the language right, which was another thing. I was very, very um you know, particular about the language that would be used back then 
as opposed to now the, the vernacular and stuff that we use now would, would have been totally out of place back then. Um, so I had to kind of listen in to older people speak. I interviewed a few older, much older people and spoke about what, what were their childhoods like and what kind of cities they live on. How did they get to the shops? There was no supermarkets and there was vans that came around with food and things like that. Things that I had never heard of before. So I tried to cram as much as I could into the book so that it would appeal to people who love Kildare, love the region. Also, the, the pressure of being outcast and having to belong. And if, you know, the whole theory of mental illness that runs through the book, um, it was very misunderstood and there was very little help. And my characters were quite lucky that they were not institutionalised. But at one, at one occasion, you know, one of them was, Kathleen was nearly institutionalised. She was outside the walls. Only the father had the guts to take her home. But they had to make a lie. They couldn't take her home with her child. They had to make a lie. So she didn't know all her life what the truth was. And this happened all the time. Like, you know, the, the kind of web of lies that people built within families in order to kind of keep faith. Writing a novel is not easy, especially when it's a part-time occupation. There are inevitably times when an author might feel like giving up due to difficulties with the story or outside work and family pressures. How did Fiona keep the callow land going? Because I fell in love with the characters. I fell in love with them and I just wanted to see how far I could take them and what would happen next. And if I was them, what would I do? Um, there were times, of course, Brian, I got really tired. I wouldn't write for a week and then I'd have to make myself write. But often that isn't the best. People say just sit down and write. It isn't that easy when you're like a single parent of three boys. You had all this noise and clatter around you and you're trying to find peace in order to write it. I'd leave it for a week or two and I'd let things germinate in my head and then maybe I'd go down to, you know, some place at Kildare Church and I'd walk around the graveyard and see if I could... And I went all the way to Bolton Glass and Blessington, Burgage, all the places that I knew where I, where I grew up at Pulafuca and then obviously the drowned the drowned village at Pulafuca. That features a little bit in the book, you know. And then John Sheridan, upstanding... Just a typical guy with the gel in his hair. I thought he was all great going out the weekends. and But he had his own secret as well, you know. And then that connects Ruth and, and Frida. And then they're actually connected all the way through time to this tiniest little, you know, scheme. This tiny filament has connected them, but both unknown. It's like finding out that you have, you know, several cousins that live down the road from you and one looks exactly like you and yet you've never met Having completed the book, in Fiona's case, using an athlete analogy, having moved from being a sprinter to a marathon runner from short stories to a novel, how did it feel? It felt great because um, I felt the four years' work. I, I know I probably, it's, it's certainly not for monetary reasons because I won't make any money from this book. It's just to have a work completed and to have some kind of a little legacy to have, to have done a book that I think I'm quite proud of um, and it has got very good reviews. I'm halfway through my second book now, so it's given me the impetus, but this won't take four years to write because it's it's set in current times. It's a lot more fast-paced than it's set in current times. 
but it feels great to have something done on the cover. I have another book on Kindle called Collectus, and it's a series of short stories, but it's under Fiona Stevenson, and that that did very well. Um, but this is this is the first real novel with proper chapters and proper editing, and uh, it feels it feels good to have finally finished it, and I'm done with it now. I'm you know, just doing the little bit of trying to sell it and promote my my work a bit, and then get on and doing the next book. Fiona Billy Lawler. And that's what happens when you write. A project is finished and then there's the next one and the next one. The Callow Land is absorbing. It does pull you in and it's worth stealing the time to read. Looking to the news headlines on this Monday morning, the last day of May, on the Kildare Nationalist website, there's a story about a five-week Nordic walking programme designed for people with arthritis. It's worth a look, perhaps, if you are in that category and want an incentive to get out more. There's also a feature on when a polytunnel is a little corner of heaven, which has a Cathone connection. The Leinster Leader reports on plans to expand the public plaza of Kildare by pedestrianising another street in the evenings and at weekends. KFM Radio News reports on considerations being given to a suspension of pay parking in Maynooth in order to help businesses that are reopening. On the national news, RTE gives prominence to a remark by the Taunish to Leo Varadkar that local lockdowns remain an option should there be a spike in COVID-19 infections, although in the piece he admits that previous ones had mixed results. The Irish Times takes the economic viewpoint to COVID and headlines that cuts to pandemic payments may happen from as early as August. The examiner, however, takes a positive line on the same story, saying the Cabinet will sign off on the retention of the payments until at least September. And The Independent has Taoiseach Mian Martin warning that the July reopening may be reviewed if people don't follow the rules. You have been warned. And there we are for today, and indeed for the moment on the Daily Cast on this last day of May. For June, I'll be doing a less frequent summer cast series here. I'm Brian Byrne. Thanks for listening, and stay in touch with the Kilcullen Diary.